Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Shelly. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I mean, you just had your shoulder surgery. <laughs> right. So I'm saying I'm doing well. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I will say, like, you look good for so much. I just put makeup on while we were doing this. <laughs> like, after my gallbladder surgery, I think I looked like awful. After any surgery, you should kind of look awful. Yeah, like you're as white as a flipping sheet. Mm-hmm. And there's just no energy, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're just like, you're not moving around much. You just look like death warmed over, actually. Mm-hmm. Surgery is tough, especially like, uh, it's just hard. It's it not is. fun. Even C-sections, nope. which people treat, you know, our culture treats as no big deal. Right. All surgeries take a major toll on the body. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it went well, though. Thank you. I yeah. am too. But I can't wait to be like a few weeks out from now. Mm-hmm. I found the last few days to be much harder than the first few days. I'm seven days out today. Do you think you overdid it, maybe? Um, I didn't do much, but maybe. I mean, yeah. I've done crap. Yeah. You know, but maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe the tiny bit I've done was more than I should have. I also don't think I'm hydrating well enough. So I've been pushing Gatorade and water today. So that's helping. Perfect. Yeah. You know something, did I, did I ever tell you that when I come out from anesthesia, I am very combative and try to fight everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me to never go help you. <laughs> it's only like the initial, like first few minutes. That I seem to think, and it happens. I mean, I've, I've only been under anesthesia like twice. It's not, but both times I came out like swinging. (laughs) And the last time was when I had my wisdom teeth out and, and I tried to warn them. I was like, just so you know, the the only other time I've had surgery, I, when I came out of general anesthesia, I was very combative and they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then when I was like fully awake, the, the surgeon was like, so we had to write in your chart that you're competitive. <laughs> I was like, I tried to warn you. Okay. I tried. Oh, yeah. That's rough. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember any of it? No. Good. I just remember what the thing that's <laughs> Right. It's a good thing you don't remember. Yeah. No. And I, the only thing I remember is when I had my gallbladder surgery, I don't remember what I did when I came out, but I know that I must have slammed my wrist against the bed when I was trying to punch everyone's <laughs> lights out. Cause my wrist like, killed. oh my gracious. Yeah. Wow. That's weird. I don't know. Yeah. I get cold. Mm-hmm. I think I'm calm, but I have that thing that happens where my, I get freeze and cold. Like my fingers mm-hmm. turn blue and everything. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. So that's hard because I hate being cold more than anything in the world. And then I'm mm-hmm. freezing. So, well, this week <sighs> we are talking with Marissa Fratoni about cannabis oh. use during pregnancy. Excellent. Looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Let's start off with our favorite of the week. Excellent. You want to go? Sure. So, I have a favorite, I guess it's more like a favorite moment of the week. And it actually starts off with a bad parenting moment of the week. So my kids are still remote for now. And um, my 14 year old summer, I was in the middle of like creating a presentation. So I, which I was kind of stressed about. So my anxiety was already high. And then right in the middle, I got a text from one of her teachers saying that she was in a group project that is the majority of her grade and she wasn't doing any of the work and she wasn't responding to the teacher who was trying to talk to her in the class about it. So I was like, because my anxiety was so high, of course, stomped down the stairs, (laughs) burst into her room and was immediately like, you need to explain yourself now. And she was trying to talk to me, but I was kind of like talking over. I didn't handle it well. Let's just say that I didn't handle it. Kind of to find out she had submitted all her work. The teacher just missed it. Oh, so then I had to. So oh. then I went like back into her room, I and it's, I know 
<laughs> as soon as I opened the door, she's like, you came back to yell at me some more. And I was like, no, I came back to eat my words. I'm like, <laughs> and she was really mad at me. And she kind of gave me the silent treatment. But then later that day, I was driving her to her father's. Yeah. And she took my, she um, connected her phone to the car so she could play her music. And she nice. started playing this playlist. And it was like every one of the songs was like one of my favorite songs. And I was like belting out and singing along with it. And finally I said to her, I was like, this is such a great playlist. It's like all my favorite songs. She goes, I know I paid attention to which songs that I noticed you like to sing. And I made a playlist Stop. because I like to hear you sing. And I was like, ah. <laughs> Summer, you got me crying. Oh, stop it. She won't be in therapy too much. Yeah. So that was my favorite mom moment of the week. That'd be my favorite moment of the month. Mm-hmm. That's pretty special. Well, now mine's going to sound so shallow. Um, I have been binge watching um, Netflix because of this stupid recovery. And the first um, thing that I watched was Bridgerton. And that is most definitely my favorite everything of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, It is excellent. It is historical fiction, um, romance, um, you know, set in England. I loved it. I heard such good things about it. I see a lot of people like posting about it on Facebook. So what is it? You don't have to do the whole plot. But like what historical era or event is it about? The queen and um, the whole premise is the time when girls needed to find a suitor, you know, when Mm -hmm. the dowries were involved and they would go to these grand dances to try to meet someone. They had their, you know, their dance Mm -hmm. cards and so forth. And it was just, it was about the Duke and the Duchess, how they fell in love and um, their romance story. And it was so good. It's definitely on my list. Yeah. Like, like sexy passion, the whole bit. Yeah. I loved it. Your favorite Uh thing. (laughs) I loved it. My mother's like, that's totally inappropriate. I'm like, what? Let me tell you what. (laughs) Has your mom watched TV in the last 30 years? (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. Oh, it is so good. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. I'll have to check it out. You totally have to check it out. And like, John's going to be like, why are you waking me up again? (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, great. Let's move on to our question of the week. Yep. So this one I got. Um, does having a water birth reduce your risk of tearing? Go ahead there, mama. So I had two water births myself. And personally, I thought the giving birth, and like once I got in the birth tub, it was a total game changer. But in terms of specifically reducing the risk of tears, there have been five, I think five systematic reviews. um, And the end result is that there is a reduction in the risk of tearing when you give birth in the water or have a water birth. Now, the thing about water births is, um, at least in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. in the US, um, if you're in a birth center or a hospital, they will probably not allow you to actually give birth in the water they make it right. out at some point even if they have the birthing tub so most people who have water births tend to be home birthers would you right. agree yeah 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 labor tubs but not birth tubs so much mm-hmm. yep. yeah i don't is that like nationwide do you like i don't know what other states do <sighs> i don't know hospitals yeah i'm not sure yeah and i think if you're like if you have an epidural you're not going to be allowed in the labor tub of course right yeah yeah. Yeah. That was a good question. Yeah. That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. All right. When we come back, we will be speaking with Marissa Fratani. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Shell. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting in new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information. And also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. 
the Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health. So this week, I am so excited to announce our guest, Marissa Frattoni. She is a nurse, yoga teacher, wellness coach, and a cannabis advocate and educator. And she's here to talk about cannabis and pregnancy. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you, Shelly. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited. I've been super excited about this episode because I get these questions a lot. Yeah, it's a a tough topic and there's not a whole lot of uh, readily available information out there and um but uh yeah no it's um I'm happy to I'm happy to discuss it you know there's a lot of information that moms do need to know a lot of times when women come to me and ask these questions I think they're seeking um information that frankly you know we don't have all the answers for right now so mm-hmm. um so yeah I'm excited to have this conversation with you thank you for having me on sure can you tell us a little bit about yourself Sure. Um, so I am an integrative nurse. Um, I specialize in maternal health, behavioral health, and cannabis care. Um, so I uh, help people throughout the lifespan. Um, but in some way, I uh, so let's see, back up. I started working at a cannabis dispensary a few years ago. And uh, that's when I started to realize that this was a, a something going on for for moms, um, there weren't any uh, good question, uh, good answers for them. Um, so that's what sort of helped me dive into this uh, specific area. Uh, and then, as a result of that, I sort of started doing research and um, put, you know, started writing on my blog about what I was finding. Started sharing other women's stories. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how I came to be where I am at this point. And one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you about this topic was because the research that you put out there is just that it's like research. It's you just state the facts. Like you don't try to sugarcoat it either way. You don't try to be dismissive of the fact that, you know, in terms of safety of cannabis and pregnancy, we don't, there's a lot we don't know. Um, Whereas um, some I've heard, I've read like in other sources where they just kind of like sugarcoat over the risk or, or whatever, because you know, they have strong feelings about cannabis. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, confirmation bias. I think a lot of, a lot of um, families that use cannabis or, you know, women that are seeking, you know, possible cannabis use during these periods, you know, they're certainly more apt to, you know, seek things that will confirm their biases. And the fact of the matter is we don't have all the information we need to make, you know, those sorts of informed decisions. Um, regarding cannabis use during pregnancy or breastfeeding, the perinatal period in general. Um, what's important, I think, for a lot of you know, women to understand is that the system also can act against them. So you know, once they, um, their OBGYN or any health providers that they interact with, um, you know, not only is cannabis use you know, controversial, but it has social and legal, it could have legal consequences as well. Um, and so that's what I usually, you know, I'm, I'm always educating and advocating for these things because regardless of whether or not cannabis might be a therapeutic, um, you know, uh, have a therapeutic use for you, um, there are consequences that, you know, you're uh, basically being either a cannabis patient or a cannabis user, you're not protected against. Right. And I think it's important that families know that when they're trying to decide whether to use cannabis therapeutically during pregnancy or postpartum. Yeah, and and just to clarify for our listeners, we are both in Massachusetts, where yes, recreational and medical yeah. cannabis is legal. How many yeah. states do you know, Marissa? How many states? Uh, last I checked, I think it was thirty-seven states have at least you know a CBD program. Um, so I don't I don't know what the where we're at in terms of you know medical use only, um, and then of course adult use programs. I'm not. I, I would have to review that information, but um, but yeah, 37 states um, and the District of Columbia, I believe, all have um, some kind of legal cannabis program. Mm. Um, so more, yeah, more and more states legalize, especially recreational cannabis. This is when we're coming up with these really important questions where 
families are coming to me and saying, you know, is this safe? What is the research showing? You know, is anything mm-hmm. bad going to happen to me if I do choose to use cannabis during my pregnancy? I have yep. a really random question for you too. And this is really a stupid question. Cannabis, marijuana, what is the difference? Is it just an interchangeable word? No, it's not an interchangeable word. Marijuana is actually a racist term. And we're trying to, oh yeah, we're actually trying to get rid of it. But this is a good point of education. So that, you know, um, marijuana was named this way. It was, you know, you can do, you can look into the history. um, So of of when this plant was prohibited, you know, in the the 1930s. Um, But basically, you know, that was the period when, um, you know, this movie came out, Reefer Madness. It was a propaganda movie. And it was really, um, they, you know, marijuana was a term um, that was used to really stigmatize and basically, you know, it, it was up against Mexican, uh, um, you know, uh, Mexican immigrants and um, and also black people. So they used to say, you know, there was this a lot of propaganda that communicated that marijuana would cause white women, for example, to, you know, all of a sudden want to have sexual relations with black men. Ooh, you know, um, there was some horrible things that were put out there, you know, and so marijuana is it's steeped in racism. Um, and it's a term that really needs to, you know, we're trying to, you know, squash it out. Cannabis is the scientific name of the plant. Cannabis sativa is the scientific name of the plant. So the world over knows, you know, this plant as cannabis sativa. Um, I'm so glad I asked because I had no idea. A lot of people don't and that's fine. You know, it's, it's, there's a whole culture that's been created around, the, you know, these terms, you know, but for but for intents and purposes of, of trying to, you know, sort of, there's um, there's been a lot of social disharmony. There's been a lot of people that have been, um, you know, they've they've faced issues that other cannabis users haven't used, um, haven't faced. You know, we have whole communities that have been really socially disimpacted by um, by marijuana use versus other communities which haven't. You know. Um, so, and that's sort of why we're at this point with marijuana where we like, we need the term to, um, we need to evolve. We need to use this, the correct language, the scientific language. Mm-hmm. Always so. learning, always evolving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So why would a family be considering using cannabis during pregnancy? What are, what are some of the reasons why families come to you about this? Um, it runs the gamut. A lot of the women I, um, consult with, they are, uh, they have, they're struggling with nausea and vomiting. And, and a lot of times they're, they're suffering with it severely. So it's, it's not a, you know, it's not morning sickness. They don't get up and feel nauseous. And then, you know, they can eat a little bit and, and then it resolves. No, they're, they're, you know, they're vomiting all day long. Um, their, uh, their bodies are really, um, you know, they're growing it, they're growing a child. So they're, um, they're becoming, either some of them are becoming malnourished, you know, they're really dehydrated. There's, um, you know, there's emergency events, you know, to go get rehydrated, um, usually intravenously. So this is, um, I would say the bulk, I don't always see hyperemesis gravidarian, but I see women that are really struggling with extreme nausea and vomiting. I would say that's number one. Number two would be anxiety. And then number three would be pain. Um, so we have, I have a lot of women that come to me that are really, um, they've used cannabis for years. It is their anxiolytic. It is basically, you know, what they use to manage their anxiety symptoms. Um, and yeah, when they, when they become pregnant, a lot of women try to stop it. Um, but they find that it does not go well. Um, you know, they find that they have, are more, they're, they're very, they become very anxious. They stop sleeping. Um, they have, you know, periods of panic. So, mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. You, you know, if you're using a, if you're using a medicine to manage your symptoms and then all of a sudden come off of it, you know, and then add into it all of the pregnancy hormones, everything. I mean, these women come, when they, when we, when we're discussing these symptoms, they're swinging from one limb to the next. They can't, they can't, they can't rest. Um, it's, it's tough. It really is. So and then pain, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of women um, or, you know, people, I'm sorry, I'm trying to switch my terminology to pregnant people. <laughs> um, a lot of times they're cannabis patients. They've just been using cannabis to control other symptoms, you know, so it becomes like the same thing. They're just, they're, um, 
they're seeking information so that they can, you know, try to manage their own symptoms while keeping their baby healthy. Um, yeah. And as someone, I myself suffered, excuse me, I myself suffered from hyperemesis through all my pregnancies and it was incredibly hard and difficult and really depressing. <laughs> like it definitely oh. like did not help my mental health either. And I landed in the hospital several times just to get rehydrated because yeah. I couldn't even keep water down at one point. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. And, and, you know, to be fair to these women who do reach out to me, they're, you know, um, a lot of times I hear like, like, look, I take one puff, I take one puff and it helps me like, that's it. You know, and I don't condone that. And I'm not gonna, I told them, I tell them straight up, I'm not here to like condone your behavior or condone your use or anything like that. But I'm here just to give you the information that we have. And, and hopefully it helps you make an informed decision that's best for you, you know? But for those women who are using a very minute amount and it's changing their life, that's something that's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different part of this talk is we need to pay attention to that. These women are taking a very minute amount of a substance and they're having enormous relief and it's giving them an improved quality of life and they're able to be present for their families and their, their work and everything else that's being compromised by these symptoms. We have to pay attention to that, <laughs> you know? I totally agree. And, and part of it was with my third pregnancy, I had hyperemesis so bad. I feel like I almost neglected my first two young children because I, if I even tried to get out of bed, I was like puking. Yeah. And my husband at the time had to go to work. So it was like the TV just raised my kid for like three months. And it's something yeah. that I still have like very strong emotional reaction to. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. It's, you know, very often it's the moms who have children there and they're, they're trying everything they can to be present, to be, you know, in their, um, to be as involved as they were prior to pregnancy. And that's, you know, it, it's a really, um, it's a tough thing to mediate and to modify. And, you know, I, these women, I mean, they, a lot of them have tried, run the gamut. Um, they've run the gamut of what they've, you know, they've been prescribed all of the things they've done, all of the, all of the things that they could find online. Zoran, um, vitamin B6. <laughs> I exactly. tried it all too. They've yeah. done it all. Yeah. Unisom, uh, yeah the Unisom and vitamin B6. And, and then, you know, I've heard Diclegus um, has been prescribed and that's the only FDA approved, um, and, you know, uh, anti-nausea, um, anti-emetic medication for, um, pregnancy is diclagus. So, which is basically, I think it's unisom and B6 in pharmaceutical form. Um, so, but yeah, I, it's some of them, they're just out of options. They're just seeking all options at that point. So, and then I have women that are, they're just trying to confirm their bias. You know, they, they prefer to use cannabis. It works for them and they want to know what the risks are to their child, you know, um, so when you have a parent come to you who is using cannabis, either very small amounts therapeutically or maybe a little bit more recreationally, what kind of um, questions do they have for you and what kind of advice? They want to know if it's, you know, are they risking the health of their child? That's, that's number one. And um, yeah, and so to that end, we do know that, you know, smoking specifically is associated with, you know, um, negative impacts to the child, you know, to the fetus. Um, low birth weight is an impact that we are concerned about when it comes to specifically smoking THC. And the reason why I say that is because the studies really that are available to review center on smoking THC dominant cannabis. So there, it's, it's sort of a narrow viewpoint available in the literature at this point. No one has, and to my knowledge, as of today, I'm not sure that anyone, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that some, at some point someone will, but um, we don't have information about like, you know, edibles, tinctures, any of the other delivery methods. We have a lot of, we have more information about inhalation than anything else. We have some information about, you know, um, like edibles such as tea and things from other cultures throughout the world, like Jamaica, for example. Um, but yeah. So, so what we do know is that, yeah, there are risks associated um, to the fetus's health with um, when it comes to smoking. Um, we do worry also um, some babies are, um, in some studies they've found that, you know, babies that are exposed to cannabis 
um, you know, are more apt to have a NICU admission. Um, so, you know, there's, there are, there are certainly concerns. Nothing is benign. No substance is benign. That's one thing that I tell people in general, like no substance is benign. You know, everything carries risk, you know, so when it comes to um, any use of substance during pregnancy, you want to be conservative with it. You know, you want to use as little as possible. Breastfeeding is the same thing. Yeah, we don't have, a, we don't have a whole lot of research on the breastfeeding. I know there's current research going on, but it's going to be some time before mm-hmm. we, we see the results and yes. who knows what they will, what they will yeah. yield. But yeah, I get that question as, as a lactation consultant, I get it more from breastfeeding parents than pregnant parents. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and it's often like, well, we don't know. Secondhand yeah. smoke is not good for your baby either way, whether it's yeah. cigarette or um, exactly. cannabis. Yep. So um, yeah, there's just so much that we don't know, which makes it really, really hard to guide parents on making Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, the big thing that parents do need to know, you know, first and foremost, I think above, you know, sort of the, not above the risks of the baby, but if it, that is why this is why this, this happens is um, that risk to the baby, you know, in the, um, in the view of the law, well, not even the law, it's the, um, the guidelines from the Department of Public Health in the view of Department of Public Health. Um, you know, and then, yeah, there are consequences through the social system, through the Department of Children and Family Services. So, you know, um, people that use cannabis throughout pregnancy, um, you know, if they test positive, whether, you know, it's at their prenatal care visits or if it's, you know, um, if it's post-birth, you know, um, they risk, you know, intervention from, uh, from Department of Children and Family Services. Um, and, you know, for a lot of cases, I mean, these are there's a lot of good families that just get caught up in these sorts of things. And it's, it, in a lot of cases, it can be very traumatic. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that I'm hearing right now more than ever, not necessarily from people I'm consulting with directly, but, you know, from my, you know, just from my interaction with other people, you know, there's a lot of trauma when you have to deal with these systems, you know, there's, it's trauma to go to the hospital right now and have a baby. You know, you're told your doula can't come, your partner can't come, you're going in and you're having that baby and you you know, so there's a lot of uh, things that, you know, that, that these are things that you have to consider. Is this, is your benefit of using this specific substance worth the intervention and the possible trauma that that could cause um, as a consequence of your use? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't agree with I don't agree with how any of that works, but you know, that's where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really hard because there's no, it's different everywhere, depending on where you live, depending on even, even in the state from hospital Mm -hmm. to hospital, they treat it differently, even within the hospital, like some hospitals, if you give birth on the regular postpartum floor, you know, their policy is, you know, we don't encourage you to use a substance, but we're not going to tell you, you can't breastfeed for example, but if the baby goes to the NICU, then all of a sudden they're told they can't, they can't breastfeed because they're using cannabis. So it's really confusing for families to try and navigate that. But even if they're within the same facility or the same hospital, and they're being told two different things, depending on where their baby is, it's just so confusing. And there's no real good answers. Yeah. Help guide families, at least through the process. There's not. And honestly, I mean, what happens to a family, like what level of intervention a family may receive largely depends on the staff as well. So if a staff member is on board, um, you know, we're, we're mandated reporters in Massachusetts, nurses are. Um, so there's that element too, which is, you know, even if you are, you know, pro-cannabis, you know, from an employment standpoint, you know, and, and from a, um, licensing standpoint, all these sorts of things for nurses, you know, it's important that the nurses do what they're supposed to do, um, which is, you know, report these sorts of uses. Um, But, you know, again, it it really comes down to the staff. If the entire staff isn't really like, they're not looking for, they're not worried, they they screen a patient, they're not concerned, there's no history, any of that sort of stuff, then that it might just, those patients might never be tested you know, there's these scenarios too. And then there's some people that it's just, um, the staff is really protective child mode. And, you know, they, they, they run the full panel on, on these patients and, you know, get these testing results and then, you know, file the paperwork with DCF. And <laughs> it's, yeah. 
Yeah. So, and I imagine when it's like, and when it's a situation like that, the biases that the staff brings too plays a huge part on who is getting screened and tested versus who is kind of let allowed under the radar to fly under the radar. Yeah. Do you no, see that? Oh yeah. I mean, we, I, I hear it. Um, you know, the, certainly the younger women, um, and you know, women, um, from you know lower socioeconomic economic status, um, you know, and then of course it's women of color, you know, families of color, um, and then of course it's um, people that are on Mass Health, Medicare, you know, these services. So these are the people that are you know um, usually the ones that you know end up uh, with you know traumatic intervention and, and things of that nature. And then there's the families that just like. You know, I, I just helped a family that had, they were having their fifth baby. They've gone through, this is, they've, they've done this before, you know, and um, the mom, you know, she used cannabis early on. And, uh, you know, it was, she said it was, to, you know, really helpful for her anxiety and for her pain. Um, and, you know, she had a bunch of little ones. She needed to be able to function. So, but we talked about her consequences, what, what might happen, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, it happened. And she had no idea it was going to happen. She left the hospital, went home, and then was called like, I don't, a few days later to let her know that there was going to be someone from the Department of Children and Families to interview her wow. and, and investigate. And so this, yeah. It's like, this is the thing. These families have very small children. They're going home, they're, re they're integrating a new baby, all of this sort of stuff. And it's like, this is what happens. You know, it's, it's, tra it's traumatic, mm -hmm. it's depressing. It's, you know, it, it causes stress. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We don't mm -hmm. need that. We, you know, every, these families don't need any more stress. You know, mm -hmm. they bring a newborn home and hope that no one tests positive for COVID. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, there's a lot of bigger issues going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit more about what the screening process in might look like? Yeah. Um, so, it's really you know it usually centers on questions. Um, so, the, the Department of Public Health in Massachusetts put out guidelines. You know. Uh, I have not looked at the updates, um, if there are any, but the guy, uh, these guidelines, you know, basically are substance, uh, substance use, or no, maternal health substance use, you know, screenings, and um, they, it's, it's a series of questions, and then if, you know, if any of the questions sort of um, get, you know, they flag, um, and it's, it's subjective, so it's the person who's, issue, you know, who's, who's giving the, the screening, you know, it's up to them to determine if they feel that person you know, may um, be at higher risk. Um, so, and then from there, um, you know, if they are deemed a higher risk, then yeah, they're gonna have prenatal um, talk screen. They're gonna have a urinalysis and to determine if there's, you know, any substances in their system, so. Um, is that all done? Like, are they, are their families informed that this is happening? Not well, not I, well. you know, I think a lot of families don't know their rights they don't know the right questions to ask. They don't, and it's not like, it's not like, you know, during prenatal visits, um, you know, that they're flipping, you know, they're just flipping through all of these questions saying, okay, well now is the, now is the maternal health substance use screening, you know? Um, I think it's, it's sort of, it's an overwhelming undertaking, you know, to be a pregnant person, to be, you know, to have a child coming along. And I think there, there's a lot of vulnerability there. And um, yeah, they just, I don't think that they're well informed of what's, why they're being asked those questions. So mm -hmm. you have to remember, like these people, you know, you're thinking that you're getting cared for, um, not necessarily, you know, seeing if you're, if you need higher level of intervention. Right. You know? Right. And it's a shame because you want to trust your provider and yeah. you want to get the care that you want and need for your child. But I imagine if you are like, for example, using like one puff a day, as you said, for, for, for morning sickness or mm -hmm. hyperemesis. And you hear that that could create turmoil in your life after the baby is born by having the department and children and families involved. You're probably going to be really hesitant to be honest and oh, truthful absolutely. to your provider. And then that way, you know, I think 
on one hand, you want to be honest because you want to be able to talk about the risk involved and, and mm-hmm. what might happen for the baby. But then if you're, if you're coming out and being honest about this, you're, you're just getting punished for being honest about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And none of the recommending institutions, you know, like, I mean, the ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the eighth, the American um, Pediatrics Association, none of these, none of these organizations are saying, you know, like, no, you need to treat these families punitively. They actually say the reverse. They want families to be not, you know, um, treated with non-judgment, um, you know, not treated critically, um, you know, treating, you know, treated in the way that is in the best interest of the family. And you know, when you look at the the way things that are, you know, are, are actually carried out, in a lot of cases, it's not that. You know, it's it's there. It, it it is. I mean, these are um, families certainly that have to receive these services. You know, again, some families honestly need the services, but the families that really don't. The families with five kids that know what they're doing, this is just a, you know, you're really, now you're interfering with a family dynamic that is like, you know, it's not necessary and it's technically wasteful too in our society, a whole different issue, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think, you know, it's important that, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Where were we going with that? <laughs> what? People who need the services should get it. Yes, but, but sometimes it's a waste of resources. Yeah, and if they do, I mean, like uh, I heard of one mom who um, she uh, told her OBGYN at her first visit. She was ten weeks along. She told her, um, "Oh, I'm and I'm a, um, a patient in the medical use of marijuana program in Massachusetts." And the doctor said, "Okay," and wrote something down. And then um, the next week, she got a call. Um, and said that she had tested positive, you know, for THC on her first urine test, and um, that she would need to um, come in, you know, for another appointment and everything. And, and it, she did, and you know, they they treated her like she was a child, like they reprimanded her. Um, yeah. And she was really, I mean, it was just really upset. Like she just had no idea. She goes, "I thought that I, I'm a patient," you know. She was like. She was like, if I was on antidepressants, you know, she's like, would they all of a sudden expect me to just get off my medicine? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and she had no, she had all no goes idea. It does. Yeah. 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 And she had no um, idea that the patient card didn't protect her. Mm. That's another issue. And is that like every state that has the medical care, the medical cards, it just doesn't protect um, families? I mean, until federal laws, you know, um, don't oppose state laws, then yeah, there's there's always going to be that room where there's they don't have to afford the protection for patients across the board. The one thing that Massachusetts does well is protects the privacy of patients. So, but in terms of like the parent, you know, parents are the probably most vulnerable uh, class of cannabis user. There's no laws that protect us, really. They don't protect our, you know, custody rights. Um, they, you know, I mean, it's it's a federally legal substance. Someone wants to screw with you because of it, they absolutely could. And I think parents need to be aware of that, not just during pregnancy and breastfeeding, but in the whole shebang. Sure. Yeah. So going back to, um, you mentioned some studies show that um, Cannabis use during pregnancy can lead to low birth weight and sometimes increased risk of NICU admission. Mm-hmm. And you, we talked a little bit about the how the studies are on mostly on inhaling it. Mm-hmm. Are there any? Is there anything like if a parent were deciding whether or choosing to use cannabis during pregnancy? Is there anything that they could do to kind of reduce the risk as much as possible? Use as little as possible. Um, Cannabis is a biphasic medication, which means at you know a lower dose, um, it's going to have a different effect than at a higher dose. And um, you know, studies and I mean, anecdotes are starting to see you know that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cannabis users that benefit from just a very 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 low dose um, on a consistent basis. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would just you know use use it conservatively um, as best you can. It's the same thing across the board. Use all substances conservatively during pregnancy and breastfeeding. You know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a pot of coffee, you know, drinker, um, it's really important to consider, you know, tapering that back. Um, Mm. You know, these, 
those lead to, you know, um, so negative impacts as well. Too much sugar, you know, we have, we have how many women, you know, um, end up being diagnosed with gestational diabetes. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big issue. So use substances, you know, conservatively throughout these periods as best you can. So. And do you think the method matters? I know that I, we don't have research, but. I do think it's going to matter. I do. And I do, you know, I don't think it's, the fact of the matter is that, you know, cannabinoids, um, specifically THC, which is the one that we're always concerned about, you know, tetrahydrocannabinol, it's the one that, it's the one that causes the euphoria, the high effect. Um, and so, and that's, you know, that's the issue. That's the one that we're always focused on as well. The studies, you know, really largely ignore the, the rest of the over a hundred cannabinoids that are, um, that comprise the plant. There's other, you know, there's 400 compounds in this plant. It's very dynamic. So it's, um, mm -hmm. but so that hyper-focus on THC, you know, we just, we do know that it does, uh, cross the placenta. It does cross into, uh, cross into breast milk. Um, so yeah, just, you know, it's important to know that these processes happen. Um, what we do know about, um, as far as transfer into breast milk with THC smoking is that it's about two and a half percent of the maternal dose. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, that's, you know, that's one consideration that, you know, you need to every, every pregnant and breastfeeding person needs to consider, you know, your baby's going to get the two and a half percent of your dose and that can, right. that can add up over time. And, and we don't know like what the do like what that percentage is through like edibles or anything or tinctures or anything like that. Cause no. we have that research. It's got to be a real, it's a complicated issue to resolve because um, it, 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 to discover because edibles, there's a lot of factors. One is everybody's metabolism is different. Um, so people metabolize edibles differently. We don't know what the impact of that is. You know, if you're a slow edible metabolizer, for example, you know, is the baby going to be exposed to more cannabinoids um, or, you know, we just don't have any of this information yet, but we do need to have it because the fact of the matter is the reason why I talk about this all the time is because women are using cannabis, pregnant people and breastfeeding people are using cannabis and they need to have the proper information to make informed decisions. Um, so it's a part of our culture. We can't, unfortunately, it's not, um, I, it, not, you know, I'm, I, I, look, I view it as, as another substance, you know, we have women that are using, um, you know, antidepressants, they're using, um, on a, they, uh, they're using as needed benzodiazepines to reduce anxiety symptoms, you know, they're using other medications to manage their chronic conditions, you know, mm -hmm. so I just, I view it as another substance that we need to know more about. Right. Um, so, and I imagine that research must be difficult too, if you're, if you're trying to determine like, how much crosses into the placenta or the, the breast milk per method by method, like whether you're taking it as an edible, because at least most cannabis users I know use different, they do edibles and then sometimes they'll smoke and or inhale it too. So there's no, yeah. for, I think for a lot of people, there's no way to like single out. No, uh, it'd be hard to find people that only use one form. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I would agree that, and it's also, you know, it's really it's hard to study a population of people who um, have been treated really poorly because they've, you know, uh, shared their use. <laughs> you know, right, I mean, right. It's really hard. You know, like um, there's a study that was being done out of uh, UMass Worcester, um, and I think I I shared it, and I had a lot of women reach out to me and they're like, do you know, like if, if I participate, will I be safe? And it said it right in the study guidelines, like there's only so much they can do to protect, like they really, you know, like if you're, um, if for some reason there's a privacy breach or anything, there's nothing they can do, you know. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, how are we supposed to study this if it's not, if, if it's precarious to do so? Right, right. If you <laughs> potentially could get punished for participating in the study, of course, it's going to be hard. Yeah, and punishment in... Punishment in Massachusetts ranges from um, annoying intervention, a couple of interviews, the home visits from, from, you know, Department of Children and Family Services. It could range all the way up to, you know, your custodial, your per parental rights being, um, being suspended or removed. So that's the, that's the thing. I mean, there's, there's more, 
you know, for for the for this side of the spectrum, you know, that um, the removal part, more has to, of course, be there. Um, mm -hmm. Um, in, involved. I think that's one that's one shift that has happened as a as a result of adult use legalization. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of con there's just, it's an interesting time for sure. Sure. Yeah. And I and when you're working with a family, I imagine that you just kind of prepare them for all this and present the facts like this is what could potentially happen so that they can make their own educated decision. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my, my cons consultations with people are like, I'm not, um, I'm educating. I'm literally directing people to uh, the articles that they need to read. I'm answering questions that they have about the information that we present. I'm helping them, you know, understand like how they might, um, like some families have chosen to use birth workers, you know, um, doulas and, and midwives um, that work outside of the medical system. Um, where they do, you know, like uh, there was one woman who had um, multiple sclerosis and, uh, you know, she became pregnant finally after years of trying and her, um, even her medical team was sort of like, you know, you've been using cannabis for so long um, that mm. it probably is not a good idea for you to stop. So she's a medical cannabis user. She smokes it on occasion. She uses edibles. She uses like, you know, so the full, full gamut of what's available in the spectrum um, of products. And, um, but yeah, she worked with a midwife, um, to try to work outside of the medical system. The mm -hmm. midwife agreed that she would go to bat for her and everything, but she knew that if she needed to go to the hospital, there was mm -hmm. a very real risk of, you know, despite everything, despite her being a bona fide cannabis patient who needs mm -hmm. medicine, she was still going to risk having that intervention. Luckily she had the baby, everything worked out. The midwives mm -hmm. were really, you know, she, she did, she did beautifully despite her condition and despite all of her challenges. Wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So these are the stories that you hear that are like, you know, this is why it's just, you know, the one size fits all approach is not, it's not fair. You know? um, I never even thought of that because I know that there's a lot of people who choose to birth outside like the hospital system for a lot of reasons. I never even thought of for that reason. Yeah. It was a pretty smart idea. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah. And there's a lot of families that choose to do that. There's a lot of families that choose to do that anyways, because, you know, they, they're not down for a hospital birth, which is right. a completely different experience. You know? Right. I had two so. home births myself. So yeah, I had, <laughs> my, my second one was for, you know, she was a home birth and I was, mm -hmm. I was not, I was not down for another one. I, I had had a hospital birth, you know, the first one and I was not down for another one. So mm -hmm. And your website, I was looking through it. It's amazing. You have all these great articles. Um, I loved reading your stuff. Oh, thank you. And you've appeared in a, some magazines, right? Can you yeah, yeah. 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 I've been in high time. Um, I was at high times. Um, so actually um, recently just appeared in a book called Weed Mom. Um, oh, wow. Written by uh, yeah, uh, Danielle Lamone, uh, Simone uh, Brand. Um, she, you have to She's a one. She did a wonderful job. I, I really love the book. Um, I've also, you know, been featured on, um, you know, some other uh, cannabis publications. I was on the Little Mamas, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but yeah, no, I'm just trying to. Uh, my my goal really in this space is to educate because mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't see enough people doing it. There's people that are doing it west. Um, you know, Colorado and California and all that. Mm -hmm. There's no one really, really, no one really doing it here. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt yeah. like that when it, I just, I, I encountered it um, quite a few times when I worked at the medical dispensary. And um, it was, you know, it was concerning. One was, you know, that we had pregnant women coming in. <laughs> it's like, right. they were buying their weed, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so I started learning about it then. I'm like, I, wa I want to know, like, I didn't know what the answers to those questions were. You know, um, and that's when I really started to dig in. And then I really discovered the stories of these people, the, the patients I was seeing, the reasons why they were using cannabis and the reason why, you know, um, some of them really need this. They really, really need the medicine. It's legit. They mm -hmm. legitimately need this. Right. Um, but the system works against them. So, oh. yeah. And um, we had, and we have like a distant family member that 
had a had a two year old that was having a lot of seizures, and I think it was like the day after it was legalized in Massachusetts, his doctor prescribed him cannabis, and it stopped his seizures. Yeah, they're done. They're gone. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, some people there's there's something to this. There's something to the science, you know. So we're learning a lot more about the endocannabinoid system. The reason, you know, this we there's there's a lot of uh, information that suggests we evolved this plant. Um, it, you know, it, it, uh, works synergistically with our, with our biochemistry. Um, you know, it's the endocannabinoid system is a, um, it's a physiological system that, you know, um, with receptors throughout the brain and the immune system. Uh, so throughout the nervous system. So, um, and it really does, it, it oversees the rest of the body systems to promote homeostasis, which is, you know, basically balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's, like I, I always say, there's something to this medicine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I, I think it will come, you know, it, there will come a time when we, it will see it, you know, return to its rightful place um, as, you know, a, a therapeutic herb, a therapeutic substance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we'll do that across the lifespan for children with, you know, with medical conditions, yeah. you know, for pregnant women who really depend on cannabis to mm-hmm. uh, maintain their symptoms right. and beyond. Yeah. yeah. And like you said earlier, I, I think for most parents, it's not like they want to use cannabis during pregnancy for fun. Like they, no. they care about, obviously they care about the baby that they're carrying. And this is something that they're doing because like you said, they've tried everything else and they yeah. need to function. Yeah. 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 Well, this was really informative. Um, can you let our listeners know where people can find you if they want to connect with you or find out more about you? Sure. I mean, you can find me at my blog. It's holisticnursemama.com. Um, so, and then um, you can, my email is right there. That's the best way to reach uh, me. Um, I can also be found on uh, Facebook. Uh, same thing, Holistic Nurse Mama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Are you yeah. on Instagram too? I am on Instagram, but I really don't understand it. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Like when someone sends me a message, I'm, I'm not sure how to respond. So mm-hmm. find, um, yeah, find me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sounds good. And I'll put all those links in the show notes too. So people can oh. connect with you if they have yeah. questions. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. This Thank was you, great. Shelley. I was so excited and you fulfilled all my expectations. It was oh, a great good. conversation. Um, and it's such important information. Like we just need to get that out there, especially, you know, in a state like ours where it's legal. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I hope you have a great night. You too, Shelly. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.